Hello, and welcome to Memorial Hall Library's Shelf Help Podcast. My name is Justin. I'm a reference librarian. Hi, I'm Renata, and I'm one of the Teen Services librarians. And I'm Anna. I'm the other Teen Services librarian. And today we're going to talk about censorship in libraries. How does everybody feel about censorship in libraries? Riled up. Yeah, pretty (laughs) anti that. (laughs) Yeah, definitely pretty anti that. Um, I guess the thing to start with, I was reading this morning about uh, the ALA Office for Intellectual Freedom said that in 2021, uh, challenges against books, just ones that were reported to them, quadrupled in that time. Um, so obviously, you know, there's a lot of talk in media about new challenges coming up, uh, a lot of sort of politically motivated challenges in different places. Um so yeah, I thought like I'd have you both on being teen librarians because it does seem to be the focus of this. Seems to be uh, teen books specifically, also children's books. But I mean, you don't often hear about like adult books being challenged. True, only when they're assigned in high schools. Right. But um, I think before we get too deep into it, I would love if we could clarify a few terms that mm. that listeners may or may not be familiar with or know what they mean in the context of libraries because for example the ALA's Office of Intellectual Freedom every year has uh, an event called Banned Books Week which is designed to highlight books that are frequently challenged and banned and so most libraries including MHL will often do little displays for Banned Books Week and every year um, mm-hmm. in the teen room we get kids who come in like why are you guys banning these books and like <laughs> if you're banning them why are they here And yes, (laughs) so when we talk about books being banned or challenged, um, libraries themselves, generally speaking, come from a position of intellectual freedom, meaning we think that if a book is published and available in the U.S., generally it should be made available for the public as long as it meets some other sort of guidelines that we have, you know, if it has some kind of literary merit or popular appeal, like then we would like to have a copy for the library. And if something is challenged, usually that comes from outside the library, from a concerned patron or parent who will uh, complain about a title saying that they think it's inappropriate for the library and it should be removed. Um, and so it can be easy to like casually call that a banned book, but Truthfully, in the U.S., because we do have our First Amendment rights, it's pretty hard to have something be actually fully banned. Because even if a library doesn't have it, people with the income and ability to do so can just go buy a copy of that book. So it's not truly banned the way that you might think of it in some, you know, other other countries or other eras when things could be truly banned and truly, um, you know... Like, Lady Chatterley's Lover in the U.S. was, like, not allowed to be sold because it was obscene. Mm-hmm. Right. Or you would get, like, arrested for having, like, contraband materials or something. Mm-hmm. It's not to that level right now. Yes. <laughs> but having something cha- challenged or removed from the library can still have a really negative effect on, you know, community, community members, readers, Um, I think especially, as Justin mentioned, the books that get most frequently challenged are aimed at young readers. 
And among that, they're very frequently challenged for having issues of sexuality, whether it be a transgender character or queer character. And so what that does is communicates that like anything about queer or transgender people is inappropriate. And then that makes queer and transgender teens and young people feel like that there's something wrong with their existence. Like if, if it's not allowed to read a book about a person like them, then how does it feel to be a person like that in that community? And that's the, to me, what makes me angriest about these challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think even typically too, like if a book is challenged, um, like through a community, it puts a lot of pressure on the librarians in that community because they might get, you know, even if the library is committed to intellectual freedom and the ability for the public to have access to these books, it could be the town manager or the mayor or the city council or something who would then once it gets to the level of, of those people where they can put a lot of pressure on the library to remove that book. And sometimes it could be librarians might just be like, I don't even want to deal with that. So I'm just going to not buy this, you know, not even pulling something off the shelf, but like, I'm not going to buy that book because I know it's going to bring a lot of pressure on me. Yes. Yeah. Which a lot of people refer to as like a chilling effect. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you might think, or even you, Oh, I heard in the next town over that they are having a lot of trouble over this book, gender queer. So I'm just not going to buy a gender queer and I don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then kids who are gender queer don't get to see themselves reflected on the shelves. Mm -hmm. Don't even like get a chance to see it that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of hearkening back to an era when those books weren't even necessarily published. So a lot of queer people, trans people just had no representation at all. You know, they couldn't go into a library or if they did find representation of like a trans person it was probably some evil character in like you know silence of the lambs or something like that <laughs> right or they would like you know uh like a bury your gaze trope or like you have a tragic love story and then they die which is like mm. a sort of thinly veiled judgment on like their quote-unquote lifestyle or right. whatever and it's like well that sucks yeah <laughs> yeah definitely um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's the other sort of like interesting side of it, when, like specifically like that book Gender Queer, where that was on bestseller list. When I mean, that's like a graphic novel that came out five years ago, maybe. Um, that was a more of a niche book when it came out. And because of all this focus of the attempts to ban it, it actually helped. I think a lot of it created interest in this book that wasn't necessarily there. I mean, it was, but like not on that scale. Right. And also some libraries that maybe didn't have copies ended up buying copies because people wanted to know what all the fuss was about, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or just that they, they were like, I want to fight against this by buying three copies of it to make them available just in case. So I do think there can be kind of a mixed bag with the effects of um, these challenges and bans, where in some cases, um, yeah, it might benefit some books and some authors. So like Maya Kobe, who's the author of Gender Queer and who uses what's called Spivak pronouns. So rather than he or she, we refer to E as E. Uh, so E is seeing spikes in sales right now. But however, other similar, um, you know, other authors who might be wanting to write similar books might see this and not have the same effect. You know, their books might just get removed or just might not see sales and you know even if in some communities they are buying more copies still in the schools where it's being removed you know we see it here in Andover we we see a lot of kids come in after school 
But then when we're able to go and do school visits, there's so many kids who never make it into the library. And some kids who, even though we don't charge fines here, maybe they aren't able to get a library card because in the past they have had lost items or because their parents won't let them get a card or for whatever reason, they might not be able to access library materials. And so even if we have it here. The school libraries really are so important for providing access to so many students who, for whatever reason, can't come into the public library, can't just go online and buy a book because they don't have the money, they don't have a supportive household that will let them have that book in their house. And so even though, yes, it can see more sales for an author, overall, I think we really, as a as a society, as a nation, need to be concerned about this and need to speak up when we see challenges happening. Because overall, they are causing much more harm than benefit. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah, like the library's role isn't necessarily to help authors sell a lot of books, but Mm -hmm. which is, you know, an added bonus. Um, You know, people who read books will check them out and buy them and it's sort of a cycle. But Um, you know, our role is to make sure the community has access to those things. And even if sales are increased, if we don't have it, like you said, like there's people who won't be able to buy it, um, you know, and that's a barrier to them. And then another just like, I can't imagine, especially for a book like Gender Queer, which is so personal and beautiful, um, like how traumatic and sort of invalidating and awful it is for the author to have like a bunch of people tell you like, Oh, your experience I think is like harmful and terrible and some like sort of, I don't know, degenerate thing. And it's just like, you're just trying to write a book about your life and then have someone be like, Oh, I don't think people should have access to it. Like, I just can't imagine that. It's so terrible. Yes, especially because, um, Justin, have you read Genderqueer? Yeah. Yeah, so I I think all three of us here have now. And um, Maya speaks so personally, specifically about how harmful it was for E to grow up without any kind of role models for a non-binary person and how hard it was for E to realize what air gender identity was and to feel for so many years as if there were something wrong um, with the way that that you felt about yourself sounds right sounds good with um and so just to have read about that personal personal experience and then to think how beneficial it could be for other non-binary children or maybe children who aren't non-binary but know and love someone who is non-binary or even just are curious about what it means for them to not have access to that. It's, it's so cruel, I think, Mm -hmm. to deny that and to, to on one level to deny it. And then as Anna was saying, yeah, to make it seem like that's something shameful. Mm -hmm. Or vulgar too. Yeah. You know, like beyond even shame, it's saying that, this person's story is is should be removed from shelves due to vulgarity. I yeah, think. I mean, I think the actual according to the LA, they say the reason that that was has been challenges uh, for LGBTQIA plus content because it was considered to have sexually explicit images. Um, which I mean, I think in a lot of times that's it could even mean just that there's nudity. 
-hmm. in something. I mean, that's those kind of challenges go back to like the Supreme Court case against Ulysses in the 1930s, where you sort of the Supreme Court couldn't even determine what's considered sexually explicit. They basically said, you know it when you see it. Yeah. Which is not super helpful. (laughs) But that's I mean, that's kind of the nature of art, right? Like it's it's up to the, the reader to determine whether that's something that's you know, they want to read or look at or not. And for children, it's often it's up to the parents in terms of deciding what's appropriate for the children. And then when you get into obviously teens and tweens, like you're getting more of a gray area in terms of them making decisions for themselves and on what they should be reading and shouldn't be reading. Yeah. 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 Well, oh, just one thing that I want to say also Mm -hmm. about nudity and pornography is that, yeah, in, in gender career, there is a couple panels showing like a sex toy, which I think is the main point of contention. And it's, I don't even want to get into that actually, <laughs> but the, the banning for nudity for mouse by Art Spiegelman mm-hmm. made me feel truly unhinged like because, table. Yeah. yeah, because <laughs> if anyone is not familiar, it is a, a memoir based on the, Art hearing his own father's stories of um, being in the Holocaust, and Art Spiegelman has drawn it where all the all the humans are represented as different animals, with um, the Jews being mice and the Nazis being cats. And it's challenged for nudity because of scenes when they are in the camp showers, and I can't say strongly enough they are cartoon mice mm-hmm. <laughs> who are not wearing their cartoon mice outfits. And um, and to think that that is inappropriate, truly, I cannot even wrap my mind around it. Like, yeah, it it's upsetting content because the Holocaust is upsetting. Mm. But when what you're angry about is the nude cartoon mouse, I just feel like you need to really do some deep thinking about that. Right. Like, when you say it out loud, it just sounds so absurd. Like... And sorry, it, mouse? Like, yeah. yeah. And if if you haven't read the book Mouse, I mean the style, it's it's very simple art, like deceptively simple, I think. It's yeah. not this is not graphic mouse nudity. <laughs> <laughs> and that it makes right. me want to scream. <laughs> I also think too, even like in that case, if it were realistic drawings of humans. It is obviously not meant to be titillating or, I mean, the fact that, like, anybody could be more upset about the nudity than, like, what's happening to those characters. Right. Right. It feels wild that we even should have to talk about it in these terms. But that's ultimately, and and I think that that kind of shows that some of these challenges are just masking what they actually want to challenge. So in the case of genderqueer, they just don't want books about different forms of, of gender being on library shelves, they don't right. actually care about the explicit content necessarily or quote-unquote explicit content. And then Mouse, you can only assume it just comes out of some sense of anti-Semitism. Like, I don't know what else that is. Right, right. I mean, that's a book that, like, has been, it's been considered a classic for a long time. It won it's, the Pulitzer Prize. won the Pulitzer Prize. Right. It took that whole sort of medium of comics and brought it to a new audience Right. It's an com- extremely foundational work. <laughs> One of the great works of like Holocaust literature too. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's absurd to and if something is like, you know, there's two panels with like naked mice, like that just seems yeah. 
that's that's upsetting. Yes. yes. But I also, I do want to go back to um, what you had mentioned a little bit earlier about, you know, concerned parents. Because mm-hmm. I do think there are different ways that parents can express concern. And I do think, and this is something we see in the teen room where parents will come in and say, like, do you think this book is appropriate for a sixth grader? Mm-hmm. Do you think this book is appropriate for a seventh grader? And Anna and I always kind of have to, that's not a yes or no question. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes if they come in, it's like 50 shades of gray. It's like, no, that is not appropriate <laughs> for your sixth grader. But a lot of times it's a much more nuanced answer of like, well, is your child particularly sensitive? Um, what kind of things is your child interested in? What level is your child reading at? And I think it is perfectly reasonable for any individual parent to say, like, you know, I don't think my child is ready for this. Or, like, I have Jewish friends who are, like, I don't want my child to learn about the Holocaust for the first time in school. It's like, I mm-hmm. want to be the first one to talk to my child about the Holocaust because that's personal for me and my family. Mm-hmm. And I want them to be prepared for it. And so that's different than saying, like, I want to have this book removed from the school, and I don't think that any student should be able to read that. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I do think parents know their children and can generally be trusted to make um, decisions about how to how to protect their child or how to... Just, just that they know, you know, they may know what their kid is ready for and like, you know, and, and also like everyone has sort of different moral beliefs and like what's okay for one family is like, what's not okay for another family. And Mm -hmm. and it's like, we can't decide that for you. And it's not fair for someone to decide that for another family. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's, you know, it's all really different. And I, a thing that we also try to tell parents a lot is that, um, kids are pretty good at self-selecting and being like, like, I I don't know if you've had this, but I've literally had a teen come up and be like, well, I'll be like, oh, have you read XYZ book or whatever? And they'll be like, oh, I started it, but like it had too much sex in it. And so like, that wasn't for me. And so I stopped reading it. Mm -hmm. And I try to tell parents like, kids know what they are ready for. And they're pretty good about being like, ooh, this was really violent or this was too much. Mm-hmm. And, like, in my experience, most of the time I've had, you know, those kids be like, I, you know, I'm not ready for this. Um, you know, can you give me something else? And I, you know, tell parents, like, you know, obviously they're still kids. Their brains are still cooking. They're learning how to do stuff. But, like. There is a bit of trust in trusting that your kid knows themselves the best and that, you know, if they're not ready for something, 99% of the time, they're not going to read it. Mm -hmm. Um, Or they can read it and just not really understand it and just have mm -hmm. their brain sort of like skip over. Yes. Like I, when I was... 12 or 13 maybe went to go see the film the cider house rules which a bunch with a bunch of my like uh friends from school because we were all like "Ooh, toby mcguire what a what a cute uh, yeah what a floppy haired little doctor man <laughs> and walked out of the movie fully not understanding that it was about abortion mm-hmm. and then years later i read the book cider house rules that the movie was based on and i was like wait that's what <laughs> 
And I couldn't tell you what I thought was happening in that movie as a kid. I was just like, oh, like a, a cute little doctor, and they're sad for some reason, but I don't really get it. <laughs> and I think a lot of kids, you know, if they don't know, they don't know. And they're just yeah. not going to get the same things out of a book that um, that an adult might. And maybe that can bring good conversations where the kid says, like, hey, mom, what what is this book about? I don't understand this. And then maybe you can explain it. Um, or you can just have the whole book removed from the school so you don't have to have a conversation <laughs> with your kid. Yeah, that's that's the thing that is, is you know, I, none of us are parents, and so it can be hard. You know, we I think most of us would agree that parents have their kids, they have, you know, in their best interests. Mm-hmm. Like, they only want the best for their kids. Um, but, yeah, it is troubling to think, like, you just don't want to have a conversation or if you're really concerned about it, I'll be like, well, maybe you can read the book first. And if it's, if it's something that you think your child can handle or is ready for, or, you know, you're ready to tackle that conversation with them, then like you should do that. And, and if you know, the kid is like, I read something that's maybe like challenging my worldview or something I didn't know about, like, I, I don't know. I think it's okay to be like, hey, I don't know about that either. Let's read this book together and, and sort of talk about it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's okay not to have all the answers, but, you know, it's it's hard again for me to tell that because, like, uh, you know, we're not, I'm not a parent, but, um, and I, you know, I think most of the parents that we encounter do get that. Um, just, Yeah. Talk to your kids, trust your kids, mm-hmm. figure out, you know, if you're concerned about what they're reading, maybe read it too. You yeah. might find a book that you really like. I mean, like, ultimately, we were, we were, we don't have kids, but we were all kids at one point. And I think, yeah. like, obviously, at some point in life, you, you know, everybody's going to start to get exposed to things that maybe they at one point weren't ready for. Um, and just like that skill of picking up a book and being like, whoa, this isn't for me. Like we must all do that all the time as adults, yeah, right? Yeah. Like yeah. there's just certain things because people have different like trauma in their past mm-hmm. or just things that make them uncomfortable. I think we've all probably like picked up a book and there's been something in there like, yeah, this isn't the book for me, you know? Yeah. And I've, I've, I've consulted the website does the dog <laughs> many a time before deciding if I want to view some media. Because if the dog does die, I do not want to watch it. Yeah. yeah. Usually if there's a dog in it, it like there's like an yes. 80% chance that it's... Not good for the dog. Weirdly, no like dog death books on this Yeah, that, that's I mean, my that's platform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and to your point though, Justin, yes, we are all former children. Yeah. And it's true that we're not parents, but what we are is... Experts in the field of children's literature, and that's what teachers are too. And and not to say that all teachers and all librarians are perfect and know best, but generally, I, I do think there is some amount that that we should be trusted and say, like, okay, like this is our job is to know about these books and to generally decide what books are generally appropriate for these age groups. Yeah, and if there are you know, special cases or special considerations. Okay. Yeah. But again, I, I just don't think that the answer needs to be take it out of the school entirely, take it off the shelf entirely. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's assigned in school and you, 
I know most teachers will give like an alternate assignment. If you come and you're like, specifically, I don't want my child to read this book. And maybe there's some sort of like personal reason or whatever. Most teachers I know say, okay, like read another book and you still have to write a paper about it, but just it's a different book. Like Mm -hmm. most teachers would work with that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think even as like, an adult reference librarian or like a reference librarian working with adults, there are occasionally times where people like adults will come looking for something and, you know, they'll, they'll specify that they don't want too much sex in it or too much violence in it or whatever. So, I mean, that's part of the job of being a librarian is being able to sort of take that and then understand what to do with that and having some sense of like what somebody may be looking for or may not be looking for. Um, Obviously it's a little more nuanced when it's, an adult like who's saying I want this for my kid and these are the criteria um, and I think you're all making the really good point of like it's a conversation it's a conversation between us and the patron us and the parent us and the child yeah. us and the adult whatever in order to help steer somebody in the direction that they probably should be going in but we can't tell them the answer of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate right yeah yeah well and I just think this is not really about censorship, but like mm. another of my thing is that if you start a book and you don't like it, or if it's not for you, yeah, put it down. Yeah. Life's Take too up short. something else. Yeah. Life's too short. There's so many books that are like, you know, a better book for you that you're gonna enjoy more. Mm. If you're like suffering through a book, I mean, if you have to read it for school, don't quote me on that. But <laughs> um, you know. If you don't like it, if you're not enjoying it, if you're not ready for it, get something else. Like, there's no shame in, quote-unquote, giving up on a book. Mm-hmm. Just read, read someone else. There's so many. Yeah, especially if you got it from the library. You're out, no money. Just bring it back. Get a different one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But don't stop other people from having access to it, I guess, is the right. key thing, right? right? Like, yeah, bring it back so someone else can read it. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess then a question I would have is, like, what is the actual, like, what do we do in cases here if a book is challenged? Or has have you all dealt with that in the past? Fortunately, no. Mm-hmm. Um, not to the extent of any of the, you know, cases you hear in the news. Like, we will have people sometimes informally express concern. Mm-hmm. I had a teen come up the other day actually and was like, excuse me, this Sarah J. Mass book should be an adult fiction because it's too sexy. And I was like, kind of. But we did, when we started hearing about all these stories in the news, Anna and I went to our supervisors and said like, we're concerned about this. We'd like to have a meeting and make sure that we're all familiar with what the policy is here and what to do. And so MHL is, I want to say every library, most libraries anyway have what's called a collection development policy, which are like the, the guidelines that we keep in mind when deciding what books to buy and what not to buy. And so we went and wanted to make sure that those were all up to date because ours will include things like, I don't have the exact language. I don't have a copy of it in front of me, but it's things like we want to make sure that our collection reflects the diversity of our community and the world. Um, Like that's a a priority for us in building our collection, for example. 
Um, so we wanted to make sure that was up to date. And then if a patron does want to challenge a book, there is a form that they fill out. And then we went over that to see if anything needed to be updated on that. And we asked for, you know, the patron's personal information. So we know how to contact them. We ask what book they have um, a concern about. And we ask them, have you read this book is a question on the form. Because that's another thing that, that you see in these stories where there's mass complaints about a book is most of the people haven't actually read it. They just, you know, maybe one person in their community read it and then just told them like, Hey, like sign my letter or, you know, read this one sentence from it or look at this one naked mouse panel (laughs) out of the context of this, you know, multi hundred page book. And that's all you need to know. And so we ask like, have you read this book? And then we ask like what their concern is. And then if someone fills that out and submits it, then it would go to like a committee basically of whichever department, you know, if it's a children's book, the children's room staff would be involved. If it's a teen book, it would be Anna and I, and then like our assistant directors and director would, you know, evaluate the, um, evaluate the complaint and decide what to do about it. I would say, I think one thing that potentially could be done, and again, we haven't had a formal complaint, at least since I've been here, but there have been times even when just we get a book in, we look at it and realize like, you know, I think actually this should be moved to adult fiction. Mm -hmm. You know, now that I have this in my hands and I see it, I think it's maybe a little bit more um, explicit than we would generally feel comfortable shelving in the teen room. So let's just relabel it, move it to the adult shelf. Mm -hmm. And that is something, you know, maybe a patron says, Hey, I don't think this should be in teen. Don't get rid of it, but maybe put an adult. I I think this is a little spicy for the children's room. Let's move it to teen. And I think generally that can be something that is, can be a reasonable ask. Mm -hmm. And then that doesn't remove access though, because if someone really wants to read it, they can just, Go to the adult shelf and get it. Mm-hmm. It's not fully gone from the library. Yeah. It's just, you can, you know, it, it can be tricky, especially in the teen room, because we have such a wide range. You know, we do classroom development for grade 6 through 12, and the, like, content and maturity and development stage between a 6th grader and a 12th grader mm-hmm. is, like, feels like miles. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like having something in the team room is a little bit of a like tacit approval. So, I mean, there's sort of like, you know, FYI, not everything in there is good for everyone, but also like, yeah, if it is something that could still have access to it, still in the building, you can still walk over to the adult shelf and get it. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes that's a way to solve it. When I first started, I remember we had some of the... Um, Walking Dead comic shelves in the teen graphic section. Mm. And I was like, I mean, teens certainly do read these, which is fine. Mm. Um, but, like, it really is more, like, geared towards adults. Mm-hmm. It has some, like, adult themes. It is pretty violent mm-hmm. um, and gory. And, you know, I, I just had them move to, like, the adult graphic novel section. And again, like, you know, then a team came in and was like, hey, where are all the Walking Dead books? And I was like, oh, they're just in the adult graphic novel section. And they were like, okay. And then they checked them. You know, yeah, like, right. it's, yeah. I I know some people are like, you know, moving them is not great. But to me, if, you know, 
you're still providing that access. It's still in the building. And especially here, you know, I don't think a lot of libraries still do like, oh, you have to be X age to be able to check out things from right. one department or whatever. I don't really think that's done anymore. I hope not. Hopefully not. Um, yeah. So, you know, most of the time, you know, you can get stuff from anywhere. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think there is a difference, too, between, oh, walking dead only from teen to adult, and that, I think, is tagged and mature by the publisher. I think that is pretty... For sure, mm-hmm. yeah. Versus you read some places where, for example, there's a picture book called N Tango Makes Three, which mm-hmm. is about two male penguins who raise an egg mm-hmm. um, into a penguin chick together. It's very cute. It's very much a children's story. Right. But the penguins are in a gay relationship of penguins. (laughs) And so, you know, some people challenge that that's not appropriate because it acknowledges the existence of two boy penguins sharing a nest. And so they wanted to have that move to adult for adult content. And that jump of a picture book to adult for being about two male penguins having a nest together, like, that is unreasonable. Yeah. I think pretty clearly, like that's not a gray audience. area. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I guess the difference there too is that like the Walking Dead comic, like a, a picture book for children. It seems really strange to put it in the adult collection. Just right. where would it even go? I don't know. Right. But like something like the Walking Dead, like that was never explicitly made. I mean, I guess some people don't understand like graphic novels aren't just for teens or whatever. Oh, but for sure. Yeah, they can have naked mice in that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Scandal. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, but I, I do think that, yeah, sometimes that is, that is maybe, like, the solution of a way, like, th- that came up, you know, not too long ago with that whole issue of the racist Dr. Seuss book, so we were uh, on the right, and, right. you know, for anybody who doesn't remember that, there were, like, the Dr. Seuss company decided to stop publishing these, like, four or six or so lesser-known Dr. Seuss works that had racist depictions of various different people, um, and some libraries ended up moving those into different parts of the collection or like an archive or I don't know the racist section (laughs) not sure where but like because if some people were like well I for historical purposes that's important granted we're not really a historical institution right but you you know libraries might want to keep those on hand just in case somebody wants them but also don't you're not going to display that you're not going to say like these are you know cool books to check out for kids or whatever Right. Um, so it's a way of mitigating that while potentially still having that in the collection, I suppose. Right. Yes. Yeah. And if I were going to be a really annoying person on the internet, I might say like, <laughs> well, I thought you didn't want books to be removed from the library. Why do you think it's okay to get rid of those old Dr. Seuss books, mm-hmm. Justin? And mm-hmm. I would say <laughs> that as librarians, we're constantly getting rid of books, um, as you both know. Yeah, it, I mean, those are also, those are very old books. It's not like it's something that came out two years ago. And even then, that's, it's, you know, there can be books that came out two years ago that have racist depiction or racist ideas. Um, and that really then comes down to that collection development idea of, like, does this reflect our community? Does this reflect something people in our community want? Um in terms of like adult books, like um, we definitely have books in the collection that probably have some pretty racist ideas in them, but we try to skirt that line of of having those things in terms of intellectual freedom, but also maybe having other things that have a different, like a counterpoint to that. When you get to children's books, it gets a little more, 
I don't know, it's not, you're not looking for so much counterpoint in that, right? It's not like we want anti-racist children's books and racist ones. Like that seems like not a good idea. Right. We're not children's librarians. So I don't, but I think that's probably the the general idea with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's the thing with the Dr. Seuss books that made me so annoyed mm-hmm. was like people who were mad about it on the internet were like, libraries are banning these books. I'm like, the publisher declined to yeah. continue to publish these books. Like, there wasn't even like a groundswell of people being like, take these books out of the libraries. The publishers were like, oh, yeah, these are yikes. Yeah. Like, let's stop. Because, like, we don't want to publish these anymore. And then it became, like, a thing. Yeah. Like, That's not how this started. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of libraries didn't even, like, librarians didn't realize because they hadn't looked at those books ever or in who knows how long. Right. You know, so who even, you know, they didn't even know what the content was necessarily. And now that the publishers stopped making them, they are eventually going to get cycled out of the collection because books don't last forever. Right. Um, and also, if we're constantly buying new books, we don't have space for these 60-year-old books, right, you know, yeah. indefinitely. Yeah, because these, if you'll recall, were certainly not Dr. Seuss's, like, Varsity League books. Right. These were not... <laughs> I had... I, as a youth librarian, hadn't heard of most of them Same. at all. It no. wasn't like, oh, we're getting rid of Hop on Pop. Right. Like, <laughs> Pop is fine. <laughs> Pop is fine. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Pop's been hopped on. Right. So he's a little injured. But That's he's, true. He's on the show. <laughs> um, yeah. Is Yeah. I just, I just wanted to bring that up mm-hmm. and be clear for anyone listening who is maybe wondering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, it's fair. I think, I think we could have an entire another podcast episode about, like, the life of a book. Yeah. And, like, how it gets to the library and how long it lives here and what do you do afterwards and like how do we decide to keep it Mm -hmm. even if it's like a great book because it's you know not circulating or it's you know there's another book on the same topic that is more accurate or Mm -hmm. or someone someone took it to the beach and got sand (laughs) embedded into it forever which never will never ever come out right yeah yeah i mean i think just the i think people don't realize just the vast number of books that we buy every single year and that there's just a finite amount of space and like we we can't keep them all right and so many books are published every year yeah like we have a big library and we have a very healthy budget um but we don't even buy anywhere close to like all the books that come out every year even from like traditional publishers much less really small press independent publishers that type of like it's just so many Mm -hmm. like we can only do so much yeah 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 and it seems like there's some concerns you know people have in terms of like removing or or just sort of like making space for new books and it's like oh these books are like the canon and like we need to keep everything but it's the canon should be growing you know there should always be new things coming in things being cycled out things that aren't as relevant anymore because um, we we don't want our collection to be stagnant and like you know it's it's you know 1972 and like and that's it that's it like we never get anything new <laughs> yeah we're full yeah we're full that's it we can stop buying books yeah yeah well I think that was a pretty good uh, assessment of that issue is there anything else that y'all want to say before we close it up 
Um, I just want to say, if you're someone who's listening to this and you're like, oh, no, that sounds bad. I don't want books to be challenged in my community. Mm-hmm. I think a great way to be proactive is, you know, if you have the time to run for school board. Mm-hmm. But even if you don't, just, like, reach – if you have children or if you don't, like – if you have children, reach out to your child's teachers and administrators and say, like, hey, I appreciate the work that you're doing and, like, what books is my child reading? And, wow, thank you for picking these diverse titles for my child's class to read or whatever. Or maybe say, like, hey, well, you know, could you explain to me why you picked this book? Something like that. Um, just to have a conversation and just to make teachers feel that their work is being supported because and a lot of times it is not necessarily being supported. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if you don't have kids in the community to maybe reach out to your local librarians and say like, Hey, I noticed you had a diverse display up and I appreciated seeing that or just to let them know that work like that is supported. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that also gives librarians and teachers kind of a paper trail. If later someone says, I found this offensive, then they can go in their emails and say, well, like 10 other community members wrote out and said they liked it. So, you know, we, we do know that there's community support for this. So Mm -hmm. just, you know, don't only speak up when you have a complaint be proactive and support it. If you do see um, things that you like in schools and libraries, please. Absolutely. Please do that. Mm -hmm. Please. And thank you. We will always take praise. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, or or push us harder if you're like, hey, and, you know, we have had that. Like, we here at MHL do, like you said, try to do our best to be promoting, like, diverse and inclusive books and ideas. But one year we had someone reach out and say, like, I noticed you didn't have a Black History Month this way up in February. And I really had wanted to see one. And we did actually have one up in the teen room, but there wasn't an adult one. And so it was just like, it did open a dialogue to be like, Oh, it's good to know that you were looking for that. And here's where there was one. And here's this, but like, let's promote it more. Let's do more. Mm-hmm. And let's do it in months that aren't black history month. Also. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That can keep us on our toes too. Like yeah. we, we can't keep up with everything. So yeah, it's like input is always, always good. Yeah. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that at mhl.org. There's all kinds of email addresses there that you can find. Mm-hmm. <laughs> email address. <laughs> all right. Well, this is the Shelf Help Podcast. Uh, thank you both for being on here. And this is a really important topic to talk about. So I'm glad we are able to get some conversation in on that. Um, you can find us on all the different podcast places like Stitcher and Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. If you have any questions or any feedback, you can reach us at our desk at mhl.org or just speak with us next time you come in. Thanks.